0: Wintrust Business Lunch. John Williams here with John Beaver. He's the president of Phase Three Advisory Services. Welcome back, John. I trust you're well. I am very well, and the sun is shining. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Enough about the weather now. Are the markets shining too? You optimistic about uh, maybe the first quarter? Where's your head today?
1: Yeah, so, uh, well, it seems to be recession one day, recovery the next and it has been a busy week with economic stats and uh the stats show still a strong economy but the bottom line of this whole thing is our favorite phrase don't fight the fed and the fed is in the process of slowing the economy and raising interest rates so that's kind of the bottom line but how do you actually play that given what we're seeing right now that's the real question and today the market is down the market seems to be range bound it certainly could go lower from here it could go higher so What is that investor to do? That's what I'd like to talk about today. The most important thing is be patient. If you're an investor in the stock market, the most important thing is to be patient and do not put your short-term money in the stock market.
0: What do you mean by that? Say that again. Do not put your short-term money in the stock market, meaning don't expect a quick return. Exactly
1: right, especially in an environment like this. So now that we can actually get some return on our short-term money, short-term bonds, any money that's going to be used in the next five years should really be in a portfolio of bonds, and that could include CDs. It could be treasury bonds. And having some, a little bit of inflation protection in there is not a bad idea either. So you could use some treasury inflation-protected securities. Those are bonds that have a little bit more of a variable rate return. And even some I-bonds, which were really in the news big-time fourth quarter of 2022, but they're still paying 6.89%.
0: That's crazy. And by the way, you're absolutely right about how every single day uh, we were getting questions about I-bonds. But you just said short-term money, five years, you should be in bonds. Five years, you don't think uh, we should be in the market for, we should not be reinvesting in the indexes for five years?
1: No, no. I really feel that the money that you have invested in the market, you've got to have at least a five-year-plus time frame on. Let's think about what happens in these declines. Market drops and then it comes back. The recovery time is usually twice the pace or twice the amount of time as the decline. So this last year, the market topped out at the beginning of the year and bottomed out the beginning of October. So you're looking at about nine months. If we have a nine-month decline, we should be expecting an 18-month rally to get back to the previous high. Oh, but what if we do have that recession this year? The market's likely to stall a little bit more, maybe put in a newer low, not quite sure. So maybe we're looking at 14, 15, 16, maybe even 17 months on the downside, you have to double that for the upside. So you could be looking at from top to top, you could be looking at a four-year period. It doesn't mean you can't make money in those four years, but you shouldn't be dependent on your stock money during that four-year period. The best way to play that is put your money in a month at a time. Dollar cost averaging, we've talked about that before. It's easy to do when you're 401k, but what if you're retired? How do you dollar cost average when you retire? Well, You keep some money on the sidelines that you don't need for 10 years, and you stage that money in a month at a time to take advantage of the volatility. And so when the market gets back to the previous high, all those purchases have made money. And then you can snag the gains and do it all over again.
0: I understand dollar cost averaging, but you don't think that you don't anticipate that people will be making money on those investments, but for five years and bonds have not been a safe haven right now, right? Well, they weren't a
1: safe haven for last year. We actually had the worst 18-month period in bonds in our entire history, going all the way back to 1789 First Treasury bond issued by Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, it was the worst 18 months ever, because interest rates quadrupled. It's hard to find a period of time where interest rates have quadrupled and certainly not quadrupled in an 18-month period. It's a very short period of time. We're through that now, though. Interest rates could push a little bit higher, but we're not looking. I certainly hope we're not looking at a quadrupling of rates now from 4 to 16. That would be like the 1970s all over again. But uh, at this point in time, most of the risk is out of the market, so you can safely re-enter the bond market. And again, we can get 45 to 5% on uh, two- to three-year bonds right now. That's a really nice place to put your short-term money.
0: Okay, we'll pick it up here in a minute. John Beaver's on the line. I want you to clarify when we come back then how I play the market, the stock markets, because on the one hand you're saying put money in dollar cost average, but on the other hand you're saying don't expect anything from that money. Well, then why would I do it? Uh, John, just be clearer about that. Not that you weren't, but I just want to reiterate the point, because I thought five years as a time horizon for getting your money back on investments in the stock market was kind of um, notable. uh, But that's what you're thinking. Continue to dollar cost average. Continue to put money into your mutual fund, but don't think you're going to get above water for maybe as long as five years. Do I hear you right on that? Yeah, and that's really to set expectations
1: so that we don't get impatient because the biggest mistake we make as investors is is getting impatient. And think about the think about the the messages that investors are getting, right? So first of all, well so goes January, so goes the rest of the year. Okay, so January's up, so that means this will be a good year. Oh, and this is the third year of a presidential cycle. That's also a good year. So this should be a good year. Oh, but we're going to have a recession. So that means the market's going to go down. All of these mixed signals, and especially now with what the Federal Reserve is doing, everybody trying to read the tea leaves. So just set all that aside recognize that it's, it's very often that the market can go through a three, four, or five-year period of digesting gains. That means dropping and then coming back again, and especially in a uh, rising inflationary environment. Back to, think of the 1950s and 60s, a rising inflationary environment, not out of control, but just rising inflation. That dance of the market was three steps forward, one step back. Three steps forward, one step back. And so we're in the one step back right now. And that one step back can take one to two years on the downside. Therefore, it can take two to four years on the upside. So I like to tell my investors, get that five-year time set. Don't expect to make any money over the next five years. Just dollar cost that, man, that dollar cost average that money in. And one of these days, the market will make a new high.
0: But if I'm 65 maybe i might not need money for my 401k until i'm 70 so this is a buying opportunity if i'm 75 and i'm uh, i need that available cash more readily and i and i can't suffer losses than bonds or something else right
1: yeah. And you just you just said it's when do I need the money it really has nothing to do with age. Right. There are people in that 45 and 50 that need that money to, in order to pay yeah. for college education for their kids. And you're right. There's people at 65 that might not need the money for five or 10 years. So it's identifying your particular need for your money in your time frame.
0: What number is surprising you right now? Is it inflation? What what is bedeviling to you?
1: Yeah, it is. How persistent this economy is, it is very resilient. The economy tends to be resilient at the start of inflation. And the consumer, the consumer just keeps spending like crazy. So that's keeping inflation running pretty strong. We've got the consumer that continues to add to their credit card debt. We've got new highs in credit card balances. And yet the consumer is still out there spending as if there's no tomorrow. That's a little bit confounding.
0: What are you making about government debt then?
1: Big problem. That is actually the most important issue, but it's not urgent. So because it's not urgent, it's really not getting the attention. So we got $31.4 trillion worth of government debt, and compare that to our GDP in a year, which is $25 trillion. Anytime your government debt exceeds your GDP, that is not a good situation. The last time that actually happened was World War One, the end of World excuse me, World War Two, at the end of World War Two, and we got that paid back down within a year. Uh, but this has been persistent for over five years now, and that creates the challenge. Yeah. So we can't have anything off the table; everything has to be talked about. But of course, each side is blaming the other side, and each side wants to get the win, and so they're arguing about that rather than solving the issue.
0: Well, what do you make then of a sunset provision for things like Social Security? So it's Social
1: Security, in terms of just taking it uh, completely, eliminating it, that's never going to happen. We don't want that to happen. But we do need to make t- some changes to the system. And that's really what we need the experts to sit down in a, in a, in a room and go, hey, this, this is the solution that makes most sense. One that makes sense to me is you just don't index it fully for inflation. And yeah, that's painful. Nobody wants to hear that. It's not popular. But the reality is it's like a family. You look at your budget. If you're overspending and you got those high credit card balances, you have to make some hard decisions.
0: There's other ways to tweak, I guess, Social Security, raise the age by which you would get it or increase the cap so that people that make a million dollars pay Social Security taxes on all of their dollars. You could do that too, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, there's lots of solutions out there. And yeah, and there's a lot of people that actually want to work on those solutions and have solutions. It's just trying to get some way to unite both parties to work on it together.
0: Well did I see that the budget office said that they're expecting another eighteen trillion dollars of debt being piled on the thirty one we've already got?
1: Yeah, in fact I thought I saw the number was nineteen trillion over ten years the Congressional Budget Office. And uh, actually, I think the number will be even larger than that as we look at the numbers. And so uh, you're talking 50, 60, 70 trillion dollars of debt a couple of decades down the road. That's just that's why it has to be dealt with. It has to be looked at. And some type of a bipartisan commission could actually make something
0: happen. Um, Debt isn't always a bad thing. I mean, I wonder if that number were small. It doesn't have to be zero, does it, for your purposes? No.
1: No, it doesn't have to be there. It just has to be less than what our GDP is. So if we could hold the line on spending, no more deficit spending, just hold the line, keep the debt where it's at, and let the GDP grow over the next 10 years, problem is solved.
0: Holding the line on spending includes automatic increases in spending, raises, inflation, stuff like that, right? Right. Yeah,
1: and you just kind of put your finger on the problem, because that's a big part of the budget. And it's not just those automatic increases and all those benefits that are out there. It's also the increase in the interest that the government is paying on that $31 trillion, right? So right now we have interest rates going up. That, you know, it's pushing up mortgages, mortgage rates. Well, it's also pushing up the interest rate that the government pays on that $31 trillion. So if we just simply double the, the interest rate that the government is paying, I think it's a little bit under 2%, if we were to go to 4%, we'd be paying twice the amount on the interest payments every year that they're paying right now. And they don't have enough money to make the interest payments, so they have to borrow the money to, make, to pay the interest payments.
0: Looking at my producer, Pete. We have time for another question. Pete says, "Nah, you got to talk to him more next time. It's always interesting talking to you, John Beaver. Thanks for joining us today.
1: You're welcome. Looking forward to the next time.
0: Right now, Terry Savage joins us, the syndicated national financial columnist at TerrySavage.com, usually our Wednesday guest, but she joins us on Friday this week as the governor had his address on Wednesday. Terry, what do you want to address today? What's foremost on your mind?
2: Well, you know, the governor had a really interesting speech because I was standing by in case it went short. Yeah. Um, what a great speech. The only thing that worried me was at the beginning I was since I was sitting there with my phone in hand, I, I started putting things together on my calculator. Five hundred million <laughs> for this, hundred yeah. million for twenty five million for that, two million for this, and I you know, I messed up on the calculator, but the question only question is where's is he gonna get the money? The federal government can do that because they can print the money. They can always borrow the money. The Fed will usually accommodate them borrowing the money, which we've just added, eight or nine trillion dollars to our national debt. But I thought it was such a spectacular speech. Um, I just went, okay, but wait, Where's the money coming from?
0: Yeah, I felt the same way. I think a lot of people did. By the way, speaking of the federal government, John Bieber was on a minute ago, and he said about a recession, he said a lot of times that it's double the amount of time it takes you to get in the hole to get out of the hole. And he imagined a scenario where we really wouldn't see, or we we should be prepared to not see um, an above-line return on our dollar-cost averaging investments in the markets for five years What's your reaction to that?
2: Yeah, I was listening to it, and I thought it was a very thoughtful comment. Let me say that um, in 1972, yes, I was there and around. It was just before the options exchange opened. The Dow was over 1,000, and that year closed at a low of 570.01. That's the Dow, 570. That's how long I've been around. And the Dow stayed below 800 for a decade. Till 1982, it was still in the high 700s. Till August of 82, uh, Nixon closed the gold window. It was uh, a decade where nobody cared about stocks. Oh, there was some action. There was some volatility in the options market. But for for the greater part of a decade, the market did nothing. And of course, it took off from around 800, and here we are. And what I find interesting is what I spent the morning doing uh, is redoing a PowerPoint presentation. Every few years I speak for this one big corporation, mention it, for all their employees. And so I pulled out the PowerPoint. I have it open on my desk that I did in August of 2017. And that one of the headlines was, I used a picture of Pharrell, I think, don't worry, be happy. Huh. Stocks are soaring, rates are low. But I also had the picture of the Dow and it said, stocks near all-time highs, which was my argument for continuing to invest regularly, the point just made, and the Dow at that point was just over 22,000. So I've made up a new slide for the new PowerPoint saying what's happened since it's now almost three, uh, six years. We've had a pandemic. We've had a war in, in Europe. We've had ups and downs of oil. And the Dow still over 33,000. So if you had listened to me, which was just, hey, you've got a 401k plan. I see you've got an S&P 500 stock fund. Just keep putting the money in. For this last five years, it was a spectacular return, and we're still pretty close to all-time highs. Now, we could have five or maybe even 10 years where who wants to be in stocks when you can get 5% in treasury bills? I don't even have to go out two years. Today, the Monday auction, I'm 99.9% sure will yield. Oh, there won't be one Monday. It'll be Tuesday because of the holiday. But unless something horrendous happens over the weekend, we'll yield 5% on six-month T-bills. So a lot of people are saying, wait a minute. Why why do I want to take the risk in stocks? If you're younger, you want to take the risk because there's, although there was that 10-year horrible decade, Mm
3: -hmm. there's
2: never been a 20-year period where you lost money in that S&P 500 fund with dividends reinvested, even adjusted for inflation. So the argument is, yes, if you are going to invest in stocks, you should do it regularly. You should do it for the long term. I have CNBC on in the background most days, but I'm never looking to say, should I get in on the tech stocks? Oh, why didn't I sell my Amazon before? Oh, should I buy more now? I have a defined plan. I keep at it. And history, I mean, I'm living proof that it works.
0: Can you talk about credit card debt a little bit right now?
2: Oh, we just had a report. You know, we talked about this. I mentioned it in my early January column twice, as a matter of fact. But yesterday, the New York Fed said that there is a new record for credit card balances, $986 billion. Just before the pandemic, it was $927 billion. That was the record. So $986 billion nobody you know i have a graphic that credit card balances went down during the pandemic you weren't going out to eat sure you were ordering in but you weren't spending money on wine being delivered and so forth you didn't go out and buy clothes because all you needed was a couple of nice t-shirts and some sweats you didn't have to go to work and credit card balances declined and everybody said i've learned my lesson and now they have jumped again that's I mean, as far as the Fed's concerned, retail sales are up, credit card balances are up. They've, the Fed's thinking to itself, you don't have to be clairvoyant to know what policy. Oops, we're going to have to be tougher for longer and raise rates higher, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is why you have T-bills over 5%. Um, but th- if there is a recession, I know it looks iffy now. Why would we have a recession? It's not happening. Consumers are strong. There's still plenty of jobs and so forth. But boy, for individuals who are buried in debt, caught. The rates are going up on that credit card debt. That's insane.
0: I'm still intrigued, though, by that idea that it would be better for everybody if we all didn't spend money. I mean, say I wasn't putting it on my credit card, but did have the cash, did have a checking account. You know, I could use my debit card. The retailers would love for me to come into their stores or go online and purchase their products. And yet it sounds like we're all hoping that people don't do that, which must be a terrible message for people that are in business.
2: Well I you know I have a, a, a personal finance approach I know that the, that I'm and I'm just starting to get questions on my Ask Terry blog how do I get credit counseling well how do I deal with this what happens is on a on a macro basis as they say in economics yes we want the economy to grow we want people to feel confident spending we want that creates jobs in retail and everywhere else but on a personal finance basis if you're financing your lifestyle, on your credit card with average rates going to be 20% any minute and many people paying 28% when the card issuers realize they have you trapped. Yeah, oh yes, you could do a balance transfer. I've written about that. In fact, i am just posted a, another column on credit card debt and it'll go on my website next week when it runs in the Tribune and around the country. So what you can do, but on a personal finance level, I'm talking to you. If you can possibly right now pay down the debt. If you can possibly right now get a job, a weekend job as a server where they're really in demand now, take all that money and pay down your debt. Because once you're buried and you lose a job, if you lose a job, boy, it's really deep trouble.
0: So I'd be interested, just for fun, 312-981-7200. By the way, you can call or text, as always, now. Terry will join us all the way until 1 o'clock. Normally, she's in the first half of the show. It's a little different this week, but she'll be back next Wednesday in her usual slot, and here she is on a Friday. So if you've got a question for Terry Savage, 312-981-7200, call or text now. But I'm also just wondering... If you are a server, Terry just said, you know what, if you've got debt, find a way to pick up another little extra cash on the side. Go be a server, bartender or something. Uh, For those of you that do that, if you're waiting tables, if you're bartending, I wonder what it comes to. How much are you making per hour, per week, per shift? Uh, It seems to me like the tip's are still pretty good. Um, I'd be interested in your feedback, particularly since it also seems like some of you are working two sections because there just isn't that much help out there. Point being, maybe that's not such a crazy idea. 312 981 7200. Let's continue on the Wind Trust Business Lunch now. More business news with Steve Grzanich.
4: Start your timer. It's time for the Wind Trust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. Home prices in Chicago dropped sharply in January. The Chicago Association of Realtors says the median price of homes sold in Chicago fell 10% to $261,000. The drop is sharper than declines in the condo market and in other Chicago area counties. Experts put the blame on rising interest rates. For comparison, the median home price in Lake County was up 7%. In DuPage County, it was down 2.5%. The Chicago condo market saw prices that were essentially flat down four-tenths of a percent from a year ago. Deer & Company has raised its earnings guidance and its shares have been climbing in Friday trading. The company says it expects farmers to keep spending this year on agriculture equipment and machinery thanks to sustained high crop prices. The Illinois company says it expects crop prices to stay high, giving farmers more cash to overhaul their aging fleets of tractors and other machinery. Deer forecast sales to rise about 20% this year, and its shares were up more than 6% at midday. I'm Steve Gritanich, and that's your Win Trust Business Minute.
0: Let's
3: go to Steve Alexander with the business of food. Yeah, I've got an interesting fellow on the phone today who will be talking about a flying cow and Spike O'Dell's bite-your-butt mustard, after I Tell You, we're sponsored by the Chevy Silverado HD. Experience your life in HD. Visit ChevyDriveChicago.com. Okay, my guest is Barry Levinson.
5: And I'm the founder and curator of the National Mustard Museum, and also the uh, keeper of the flame for Elm Farm Ollie.
3: Okay, and before we get to the flying cow, tell us about the Mustard Museum. The museum, which is
5: a non-profit, uh, has the world's largest collection of mustards and mustard memorabilia. We have over 6,600 different mustards. We're also the home of America's Mustard College, which is poop on you.
3: (laughs) And there's a WGN connection.
5: We did a mustard uh, for Spike called uh, Spike's uh, Bite Your Butt Mustard. And uh, we donated a dollar a jar to the WGN Media's Kids Fund and it uh, raised over half a million dollars.
3: Wonderful, well done. Okay, Barry Levinson, tell the story of Elm Farm Ollie.
5: Well, uh, tomorrow, of course, is Elm Farm Ollie Day, commemorating the first flight in an airplane by a cow. And uh, we'll be singing the uh, bovine cantata, uh, which was written uh, written, uh, to commemorate uh, her maiden voyage on February 18, 1930.
3: Well, let's hear a bit of that cantata that Barry wrote and performed.
5: She flies through the air with the greatest of ease, dropping her ice cream, her yogurts and
3: cheese. Uh, okay, this was part of a stunt at an air show in St. Louis to promote the Ford tri-motor airplane.
5: And uh, they were going to milk her and send the, the milk down in little cartons to the needy children of St. Louis.
3: A big, big day tomorrow at the National Mustard Museum just outside Madison celebrating the Wisconsin Guernsey who made history long ago.
5: And you can actually get a uh, a picture of Elm Farm Alley on a jar of mustard.
3: <laughs> Thank you, Barry Levinson, a man of many talents. That's the business of food on 720 WGN.
0: Terry, you want to pick up some phone calls or anything else you want to say before no, we I go there? I always
2: love to do that. Thank you, John.
0: Okay, then here we go. We'll start with uh, Jim. You're on WGN Radio with Terry Savage. What can we do for you, Jim? So, Terry, uh, earlier on WGN,
6: they are talking about cost averaging, and I put $500 per child every month for their education in a mutual fund. One, uh, I have read cost averaging really doesn't work that well. Two is my broker doesn't like that I put it in a mutual fund because he says you're buying the top and bottom stocks in a mutual fund. He prefers buying quality stocks. Thoughts?
2: Oh, my gosh. What's that account titled? How's that account titled for your kid's college education?
6: It's very good.
2: What? What's the name uh, on the account? Is it your name, my, custodian?
6: Uh, no, uh, I'm the custodian,
2: it's in each kid's name. Okay, that's the worst thing you could possibly do, and your broker should have told you that, but the broker's probably getting a commission. Look, you should, be, you should open a 529 college savings account, If you're calling from Illinois, you get a tax deduction on your state taxes for up to $10,000 a year in contributions. Our program is called brightstart.com. All the money grows tax-free if used for college. You have a choice of investments, and they have age-based investments, sort of like the mutual funds you're using. But if you have custodial money in a custodial account, number one, It weighs seven times more heavily against your family in the financial aid formula. Number two, at the age of 18, you think your child's going to Princeton and she thinks she wants a portion. It's really her money. And I'm astounded that your broker did not guide you to do this.
6: I I disagree 100%. I wanted to be able to have total control over it. And my kids had a scholarship to college, one of them for sports, didn't have to use it. So he gets that money when he's 18. And I'm in a financial situation that I didn't need to go that route.
0: Let me ask you both this question. If it's a mutual fund, Terry, that's the safe haven for a lot of us that don't think we're smart enough to pick but stocks but Tom, or even sectors. We're, well, we're not,
2: but, I never got to mutual funds here. I, I got that, to the fact that for smart. most people, the last thing you want to do is buy investments in custodial accounts. But if you're so wealthy that you're not worried about paying for getting financial aid for college then you ought to be smart enough to tell your broker what you want to do and, and probably he shouldn't argue with
0: you. I only have a minute left and I want you to address this, Terry. Thank you for the call, uh, Jim. I appreciate it. I wish we had more time. But he said that you get the best and the worst. You get sort of this blend, better to buy quality stocks. Is What's yeah. your reaction to that?
2: Remember that Lake Wobegon, the podcast, you know, where everybody was above average? Yeah. You'll do just fine being average. The S&P 500 Stock Index Mutual Fund is just average. I realize there's an entire industry and you can watch it on TV all day long of people trying to beat the market. Yet there's a huge percentage of mutual funds that fail to beat their benchmark averages. So as far as I'm concerned, if you don't want to spend your whole time picking and buying and selling and timing, and I've been in this industry for over 40 years now, and I've seen very few people, there are very few rich old traders There's some very wealthy old investors, ask Warren Buffett. You don't have to be a genius and beat the market. You have to be there on a regular basis, investing on a regular basis, not getting scared out when the tough times come. And over the long run, it's always worked out. That's the story I gave at the beginning of this half hour. It's always worked out that it's a smart bet to bet on America on average on the index. I don't argue with people who say I'm going to be a trader. I trade day trade. I trade meme stocks. That's fine. That's something for everyone. I'm talking to all of you out there who don't want to spend your life guessing where the market's going or listening to someone who you don't know if they know what they're talking about.
0: Okay, but Just do
2: it on a regular basis. I hear basis. what you're
0: saying, but I think that... but And the then the a mutual fund to... Is- and Great the mutual fund that. is where we go when we feel like and an that. And an index yet, fund. But some, but some do better than others. And I, what I heard in that question was, you know, you could be stuck with a very average or, or subpar mutual fund. You should. There's this special group of quality stock funds that I need to get my hands on. I, I don't know what I'm talking about, but that's what that sounds like. You're right, like, because,
2: right? Mutual, John, every year... They do a, a report on how many mutual funds fail to beat their benchmark indexes. That's yeah. number one. And in one year, it was 90% of large-cap funds failed to beat their equity index benchmarks. Well, then why and, are you
0: singing their song? Then why are you championing no, mutual I'm funds? No, I'm not
2: saying, I'm not talking, John. There's a difference between managed mutual funds and an index fund that is the benchmark. The standard poor 500 stock index fund is the benchmark For large-cap American stocks. Why try to beat it? Historic average return is over 10% with dividends reinvested. You don't have to spend your agony and your emotional capital Uh. beating the market. Just be there on a regular basis. Now, that's not for everybody. And I get that. But I'm talking to the people I know out there who are saying, wait, what am I going to do? How how worried should I be? How much should I have in the market? When you get closer, unless you have a lot of money that you're planning to distribute to your heirs, you probably have less exposure to that large cap whole stock market S&P 500 because you have more chicken money. We've talked about that. But for someone who says, I'm telling my broker what to do, my broker's arguing with me, and then is is trading in a child's name that just that that doesn't make a lot of common sense for most people out there
0: and that's terry savage you can follow her stuff at terry and let's reconvene next wednesday how does that sound,
2: john actually i'm going to be in a board meeting next wednesday we'll have to figure out another date next week i'm sorry i heard you say that and realized i thought i told pete that but i'll uh, be back there next did. week sometime